a Podcast One production. I'm Charles Fairley and for 30 years I've worked for big media companies like the Nine Network, Sony Music, AAP and Win Television. And I started Unsung Business Heroes because I wanted to give small business owners a voice, many of those small business owners that I met through my work, but also because my dad was a business owner. And so helping small business and marketing and getting to know the motivation behind business is part of my life. I really wanted to interview Diane as one of our heroes because she had a fascinating background and to me had overcome a lot of adversity as well in terms of um, gender imbalance back in the 60s and 70s when she was starting out after school. But also she realised that um, to get through the glass ceiling, she had to make some compromises and at one point she wanted to move into a different division within a business where she was working at the time and she took seven demotions and went down seven levels, if you like, in order to switch across into this new business area. And I just thought that was someone with a lot of long-term vision and someone that uh, had a good idea of where she was going. And Diane's a project manager, so she's very system-focused and process-focused. And I thought that was an interesting overlay with the emotional side of the impact of her life and what she was trying to achieve. By the time I'd actually finished university, I'd been working for nine years, because by the time I'd done my high school degree and the university, and I was working in libraries and I looked above me and everybody above me in the big jobs was male. And this is back in the early 80s. And I was, I'd run a children's library in Canberra at that stage. I was um, working in specialist libraries in government departments and all the top jobs were held by men. So I thought, well, this sucks. This won't work for me. So I uh, approached the IT department, which was a new and you know, exciting thing that was happening. And I took a demotion by nine grades to swap because I've always instinctively understood that mountain climbers don't go from peak to peak. They come down and go up another one. And I have a lot of trouble getting that message through to people today when they're starting out in the workforce or wanting to change careers. So I took a demotion by nine levels and went as somebody's PA in the IT department because librarianship and IT, nobody saw the connection. Although, in librarianship, I actually went and learnt how to do online searches and everything way ahead of when the IT guys did. Anyway, long story short, I worked for a wonderful guy called Terry Hillsberg. He was very clever and I used to get into work way before him every morning and run a summary of what his day was, what all the big issues were and all that sort of stuff. And I lasted nine weeks until there was a project starting to automate all the federal industrial awards. And a guy called Barry Ellis went to Terry and said, look, you know, I think you're wasting this kid on, um, on being your PA. I think she needs to go and work with this other dude called Mark Quirk. And, um, and I'm forever grateful because I got sponsored by a bloke to move to a project. I had no idea what project management was, no idea what projects were. They called me an SME, which is a super, well, super user of some description, subject matter expert. And of course I wasn't, I knew nothing, but I loved the environment. And Mark, the guy we worked for, had a very, very good way of managing. He got me very comfortable. He, he took the style of management, he was an ex-Jesuit, and he took the style of management that while I was in his care, he would teach me. And if I no longer wanted to learn, I had to go away. 
And I learnt so much from him. And the foundations of project management, I actually, I learnt on that project. And at one stage he came up to me and he said, oh, look, there's this new thing called a project management course that's coming up. Because there were no, I mean, we were running a project, but there was no project management to say in Australia outside of construction. And, uh, and I said, why would you send the bloke, send me? And it was an absolute seminal moment because he said, yes, I went on a residential course for seven days and I just, I, I made my decision during that week that this is what I was going to do for my career. And I was 24 years old. And I just, I, I came home and that was that. I was, I was going to do it. So there were no more projects around after the one we were on. Um, I'm still in touch with Mark and Barry and all those guys as well because I'm just so grateful to them. And I tell them every year, you know, <laughs> look what you did. And uh, so I came back and my next job, I decided you couldn't get a project management job. So I started going after jobs that I could do as projects. And industrial relations was a very rich environment for those that because we had the accord and everything. And so a project was something where you could, there was an outcome that everybody agreed they wanted. And so all you had to do was get everybody there. And if an outcome was agreement, then all you had to do was manage it. So I just took projects and took jobs and did them as projects. And I was just so lucky because, you know, after Mark, I met John Franklin and then I met um, Kevin Holleth. And if I keep telling, I'm going to miss somebody out. But there was a string of men who not once saw me as a female, I don't think, or it never indicated that they saw me as a female, but saw me as someone with potential that they could support and I just soaked it all up. And so, you know, I did industrial advocacy, loved that. Um, we did industrial negotiations um, and I had a ball. And then one day I got a call from a consultant who was working with one of the big consulting companies, said, um, you know, would you like to come to Sydney? Because they'd worked with me and that was a female, what Fiona Balfour. Um, and Fiona said, do you want to come to Sydney? There's this startup company, you know, it's a project to start it up, do you want to work for it? And I came down, had an interview. I thought that would be the end of it, but I got the job anyway. So I moved to Sydney in 89, worked for that organisation, which was a, a business that Qantas was setting up. Um, worked for them for two years as a project. Then I got picked up from there and went to Mexico to run the project, which was the same project. I look back and there are so many times when I could have said, oh, no, that's a step too far. But uh, not picked up, moved to Mexico, um, ran a project in Mexico, learnt over and over and over again that I absolutely love finishing things. I'm never going to be a good um, operational person. I love starting and ending. And I worked in Canada for the government of, Air, of Canada, working on a big project for Air Canada, and my passport was stamped never to be returned. <laughs> so when I left, I couldn't come back. But I have been back. They've given me permission. <laughs> um, so, you know, you've got to be prepared along the way to take a few chances. Um, I left there, came back via um, Asia, where the president of the company I was working for, that I'd been working for in Mexico and US and Canada, had said to me, you know, why don't you call in and meet this guy who runs Asia, and they might have something in common. And um, we, we met when I came back, and then I started working with him. Then we decided that we'd rather have a relationship than work together. So it was a very informed organisation, you know, just, again, just so lucky. The, the president said, that's OK, you work directly to me, now there's no conflict, go forth and multiply. And then uh, Ian did a management buyout of that company and moved it to Sydney so we could be together because I wanted to come home. 
Um, and then I made a career mistake. I, at that point, I actually took a proper job. I actually took a job as a sales person for one of the big multinationals and that that was a career mistake and it took me three years to undo it because I kept trying to make it okay and I was miserable, they were miserable. Um, you know, it was just just an awful time. Three years later... When you say a salesperson, what was selling what? I was selling um, computer outsourcing. I have a natural ability to... Um, make friends with people, I guess. And so I thought, oh, well, yeah, I'll make a salesperson. I was also coming back off, you know, doing a lot of projects overseas. And Australia still had a very immature project management environment at that stage. We're now talking 92. I went along to the Australian Institute of Project Management meeting because I thought, oh, I am a project manager regardless of what anybody else calls me, so I'm going to go to that. I was the only one there who was, wasn't in construction. The first meeting I went into, there was a sea of suits, and I thought, oh, what am I going to do here? Anyway, they took to me like a duck to water as well. And before long, I started the IT, Special Interest Group, of the AIPM. And uh, in those days, projects were all about getting to the end and getting things done. That's changed a lot, but we'll talk about that a bit later, I guess. Um, um, so from there, I I damaged myself over the following those three years that I was in that organisation, but I pursued my project management and you know did all the things. And then I left there and took up a job with a big consulting company, which I absolutely adored. Loved the smart people, loved the integrity of the organisation. Got the chance to work for another really smart bloke and a good man, you know. And uh, then at one stage, I decided that I wanted to work fewer hours for personal reasons and they said uh, we don't have part-timers and they had misunderstood me in the conversation because I wasn't actually negotiating I wasn't may I it was this is what I'm planning to do I'd really like to do it here the decision was no you can't do it here so in that very meeting I said well I guess I quit so I went home and said to Ian well I don't have a job so I better start a really nice company which is what RNC stands for. If you start with why someone would hire a project manager, it was originally to get something done that couldn't be done in the normal course of work. So we're talking about anything here? Yep, we're talking about a wedding. We're talking about a dinner. We're talking about getting ready for today. If you we're want... talking about setting up a company. We're talking about yep. uh, building a multi-storey building. Yep, that's a project. We don't do those, but that's a project. But all those things are projects. Yep. So you, you take on anything. Except construction. Except construction. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So basically, so a project in my preference of the li of life, I guess, is anything that somebody wants actually delivered that they can't do in their normal course of events. So would I take on a project to do the monthly accounts? Absolutely not. That's operational. Would I do on a, take on a project to um, get that extra bit of efficiency out of a call centre? Absolutely not. That's operational. Would I take on a project to set up a call centre? Totally. We've done a few films. We've done, uh, and I say we because there's quite a lot of us now. Uh, so, but it gets back to the question of what is project management. So, in my view, it is whatever it takes, art and science, to get the outcome somebody wants. So, the higher project manager, one of my favourite sayings is project managers are tools, which, you know, in Australian vernacular, that doesn't get me very many laughs, really. Um, but we are, we are tools to be used by people who want something specific done outside the line of normal work. Now, 
that takes a particular skill set and a particular personality style to be able to do that, to be able to fit in with different organisations. So over the last 20 years, what's evolved is what they call the competence movement. And all of the professional bodies are now accrediting to administration. So you have to prove you've got the paperwork that had a business case, a scope of work and all of those sorts of things. And so we're actually accrediting on tools, but we're not accrediting on outcomes and delivery or the capability to deliver. So there's a a big dispute going on because there are those of us who say there is no point in being forensically defensible by having all the paperwork right. You're much better off to get success. And I get asked to review projects and I've never met one that has been failing because the paperwork wasn't right. It's always about the people and the other stuff. So for me, it's about when someone wants an outcome done that they can't do in the normal course of events, that's a project. And whether that's a project, a program or a portfolio is about um, complex complexity and scale. And I think it's title inflation, quite frankly, because that first big project I worked on with Mark Quirk, he was the program director, and it was hugely complicated. We had to negotiate between the employers' organisations and the unions' organisations and the government and the industrial court it had its own act. I mean, we were negotiating all of that as well as all the IT stuff, and it was a project. But now it would be called either a program or a portfolio of projects. Mm. You know, single outcome. So I, don't, I guess I don't have a lot of truck with the administrative project management, although I'm beginning to think I may have lost that battle and I may have to... Um, give up the use of project management as a phrase and I've started adopting initiative management so that you can actually deliver an initiative whereas the project managers are going to be the people who can fill in the paperwork and follow around the team and say how far have you dropped how far behind are you this week so yeah so I'm, I'm quite ruthless on the fact that only work for the people who actually want something done Now, you've mentioned RNC. Yes. Uh, what made you create RNC? It was a direct reaction to not being able to work. In, uh, <laughs> the reason I wanted to go three days a week is because I'd been quite ill and I had eight months off work. And I never, ever, ever, ever wanted to have to get another freaking doctor's certificate to tell someone I was sick. I'm an adult, for goodness sakes. I was so tired of having to go to the doctor and get every six weeks another doctor's certificate. I knew I was sick. You know, <laughs> I was really sick. And I, and I just thought, I never want to do that again. And so that's when I left. That's why I didn't look for another job. That's why I went and created my own organisation so that I could make decisions when I'm sick. Now, the, the irony of that probably is that I now work seven days a week and <laughs> have Christmas and Good Friday off. Um, but, you know, if I am sick, I don't have to go and get a doctor's certificate. And I love it now if I, if I go to the doctor with a heavy cold or something and he says, do you need a certificate? No, thank you. I'm a grown-up. Well, that's <laughs> an unusual reason for setting up. <laughs> it is, isn't it? It is. Um, were, were you scared at all? Were you nervous? I seem to be fine. I'm the sort of person who took the motion to change careers. I've packed up and moved to Mexico, packed up and moved to Canada without a visa, you know. Um, so obviously I'm quite good with risk. The thing that ba- that astounds me looking back is I never once thought I would fail. It didn't... I was incredibly arrogant. So how did you get clients? Coffee. I rang up everybody I'd known 18 months before I'd got sick and just said, can we have coffee? 
And people say, yes, people like to have drink coffee. And I said, I can do this for you and this is what I want to be paid for it. And it was, and so I started working just contracting out myself. And, you know, if, I, if there are any women watching this or I ever talk to women, I say, if you have a career break for whatever reason, do not come back into the first meeting with, I've been off for 18 months or I've been off for 12 months. They don't care. It's irrelevant. If you're putting yourself there to do some work, you don't start telling them why it won't work for them to start with. And so I never mentioned it. And so I just have it. And nobody thinks. Everyone's involved in their own lives. So they think, oh, I haven't caught up with her for a while. Let's have a coffee. And I just said, this is, this is what I can do. I can fix broken projects. I had actually done a bit of a look around the market and decided that by then, we're now in 99, there were a lot of people who call themselves project managers by this stage. And for a client, there would be no way they could distinguish me from everyone else. So I set myself up as the person who'd fix the ones everyone else broke. And yep, and that got me going. And that got me my first, second, third clients. And that lasted for couple of years until I decided that this was a mugs game um, I'd actually end up getting some more people to work for me so yeah I mean it wasn't wasn't easy you don't open the doors and money comes flooding in as people think so the first few years were very lean but especially after I changed from contracting myself to then getting people there were four months there where I got no income and I did say on one occasion to my husband do you think I should go and get a job and he said, no, I've got full faith in you. Um, and, you know, I'd had enough money in the bank to tide me over and stuff like that. But I knew myself that I wasn't going to be running a hobby company so that if Ian was having to subsidise it, I would have gone and got another job. So as soon as I wasn't able to support myself, um, then, yeah, I would have gone applied for a job somewhere. I've now been going 16 years. We've got a very nice turnover. It's consistently profit, though on some years not very much profit. Um, and we actually keep a lot of people employed, a lot of women employed. We work hard on giving people part-time work if they need it. I was reading a recent post of yours, <coughs> the most important things that you have learned. Do you remember that? I remember that. I remember one of the things which surprised me was how important it was to read the politics of the group you're working with, oh, the people you're working with. Or totally. And women yeah. don't do it. Women, we, we don't do it traditionally because we don't understand boys' politics. We didn't grow up learning how to knock each over itself over in the playground and playing team sports and all that sort of stuff. We grew up being nice. We learnt the alpha female in high school when the pretty girl got all the boys and all that sort of stuff. But in terms of kindergarten stuff, we're, we, don't, we don't do that. So we still believe, massive generalisation, but I still believe it's mostly true, that we should be recognised and promoted based on our ability and what we can do and people should recognise and know that and then promote us and all the rest of it. Never happens. Absolutely never happens. One of the jobs I got back in Canberra when I wanted to work on um, some of the stuff with the Accord, I applied for a job. I had no background that would indicate that I could do that and the guy rang up and he said, well, why did you put this in? And I said, because I'd be really good at it. And, you know, women just don't do that. So we go into organisations and we think if we're nice and we do good things, then it'll all be okay. But more often than not, it, it isn't. It isn't because the, the boys' politics will close ranks. Some of the other things I think you said, which, uh, you know, you have to put in extra effort. You can't just... Um, go the extra mile? Go the extra mile. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love it out on the extra mile. There aren't very many people there. Um, but success for me, which I defined when I very first started RNC, was 
having enough money that I could say no to clients I didn't like. It's all I wanted. All I wanted. And, uh, and I can do that today. And I also, I mean, I wrote down the things that I, I wanted to be able to do. I wanted to be able to, um, you know, say no to clients I didn't like. And uh, I wanted to have the option of turning left when I got on a 747, because in those days, first class was you turned left. And, uh, you know, I'm heading to New York next week in first class. Now, that's not something I do a lot, but it's something I thought, you know what? You've earned it. Dream come true? Yeah. So, you know, you, so it wasn't about how much money I had. It wasn't about how many people we worked for, what the clients were. It was all about that freedom, I think, to... I mean, I size up clients quite quickly and there's a particular profile of a client that I just say, we won't work well together. So what are the business goals? I don't have any. I don't believe in them. Shouldn't you be worried about what you're going to be doing in five years' time? Shouldn't you be planning for five years' time or ten years' time? If I'd sat down at any stage in my career and planned my career, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have managed the life I've... I wouldn't have imagined the life I've got. I wouldn't have imagined where I live. I wouldn't have imagined what I do in my spare time. I grew up in Canberra. I'm a sailor. You know, so I say... My, my biggest thing is if the ring swings by, grab it. So if it looks like a ring that suits you, just grab it and ha- go on for the ride. So you can sit down and say, oh, in 10 years I want to have this much in the bank, which means that you're consigning yourself to potential drudgery for the next 10 years or fear and all that sort of stuff. I oh, know, it just doesn't work for me. That seems to me to be a bit left of field. It is left of field given that I'm a project manager. (laughs) (laughs) But it makes me ideal because it means I'll deliver your outcomes and I'm not there on my own agenda. Now, I love what I do. You know, I get up every morning and think, okay, who am I going to help today? Who, whose budget am I going to save? Whose projects am I going to save? Who, which women uh, haven't had work for, because they've been having children who'll be now gainfully employed doing something terrific in a project? Um, which, which project managers have I had on projects before that I can swing over to other projects? I mean, that's what I... Yeah, I don't actually see myself retiring. And I see myself at the end of the business shutting the lights off. You know, I know the traditional wisdom is that you grow them to divest them and do all sorts of things, but... This wasn't about that. I haven't, I mean, I don't want my name on a building. I don't want, I certainly don't want to sell my company and have to work for someone else for two years. That would be like, you started this not to do that. That would be stupid. So, yeah, so I don't fit the mould of getting it ready to sell. Definitely don't. Business isn't easy. It's actually hard. And you've got to play to win. Although, having asked me what I want to do in five years, I don't know what I'm winning, really. (laughs) When I wake up one morning and decide this isn't fun anymore, I probably won't do it. (laughs) It was really interesting interviewing Diane because, yes, she's very focused on success, but she also accepts that failure is part of that success. It's a step on the journey, but she has a great resilience to that failure and she's a person who can turn failures around and, in fact, That's often what she does. She'll go into a project that's halfway through and destined for failure and she's the the paramedic running in to rescue it. So it's really interesting to hear from her um, that attitude of, you know, you have to go down the, the other side of the mountain to reach the pit on the other side before you can turn it around and, and scale the other mountain peak and come out on top. If you liked that episode of Unsung Business Heroes, I really want to share this next one with you where we talk to Annie Gibbons, 
who overcame a whole mountain of trauma in her early years, but also climbed Everest and brought that back into her business world to achieve success and then pass that on to other women in her network as well. Unsung Business Heroes was presented by me, Charles Fairley, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. The executive producer was Jenny Goggin. If you'd like to see the videos of my interviews with these unsung business heroes, go to unsungbusinessheroes.com.au. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au. Download the Podcast One app or search for Unsung Business Heroes on iTunes.